the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today, we are going to dive into the letter of the law, and we're going to be talking a couple different uh, properties that all deal with lawyers. Uh, A little bit of Supernatural in our movie one, because we're going to be discussing the 1997 film, The Devil's Advocate. And then we're going to bring a little bit of order to it to us all <laughs> as we are going to discuss the longtime property Law and Order. Yeah. Massive crime procedural series and franchise there. So we're going to discuss all that. And then we're going to do our own recasting of Devil's Advocate using actors of today. So I'm excited about this one. Yeah. Devil's Advocate will, you know, we'll talk about our nostalgia for that movie as we get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I do want to know, 1997, what else happened in that year? All right, so the film was released on October 17th, 1997. The Billboard Top 100 single for that week was the combo song Candle in the Wind 1997 slash Something About the Way You Look Tonight by Elton John. And it seems to me you lived your life like a candle in the wind Never fading with the sunset when the rain set in. Which was released, I think, at the death of Diana. Yeah, Princess Diana. In the wind. Yeah, it was definitely. Yeah. Uh, topping the Nielsen ratings was the show ER. Not, not a surprise at all. Yep. Uh, around this time, saw the release of a game series that I love because I, I love strategy games, and that was Age of Empires. Oh, yeah. I've played a couple of them. Yeah, they're great series. Yeah. Uh, the New York Times bestseller was a book called Flood Tide by Clive Cussler, which is a name I recognize, but not at all a yeah. book I've ever read. My fun fact for 1997, uh, a, a 14-year-old named Nathan Zoner uh, was able to get 43 out of 50 of his classmates to vote to ban dihydrogen, dihydrogen monoxide. <laughs> For his science fair project. His project aimed to prove that the use of true facts can lead the ignorant public to false conclusions. And he won first prize uh, because dihydrogen monoxide is another word for water. Yes. So. (laughs) What grade were they in? uh, He was 14, so that would have been like ninth ninth grade probably. Maybe 10th grade. Okay. That's a smart little, I mean, I love that. (laughs) Smart little uh, theory that he's proven there. Yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> so so. It's, it, that fact seemed a little apropos for these times, so I felt sure. like I needed to put it in there. Yeah, everything <laughs> is just thrown at you with muddled words yeah. to mean whatever, you know, to, to make you think something, which is when it's complete BS. Science is real, people. Yeah. Science is real. Anyway, that was 1997. All right, John. Uh, let's uh, get into court and see if the judge will go our way with Devil's Advocate. Devil's Advocate 1997. It is directed by Taylor Hackford. Uh, he also directed Dolores Claiborne, Proof of Life, uh, Ray, that great film as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's based on Andrew Niederman's 1990 novel of the same name. Uh, I didn't honestly know that this was based on a novel. I didn't either. So that's cool. 
Uh, the screenplay writers are Jonathan Lemkin, who has also done Shooter, Lethal Weapon 4, 21 Jump Street, uh, worked on those, the, the show back in the day. Mm-hmm. And Tony Gilroy, who wrote Rogue One and Andor, as well as screenplays for all of the Bourne movies. Oh, so okay. Tony Gilroy, quite good. Music for this film was done by James Newton Howard. Did The Fugitive, Waterworld, Primal Fear, Sixth Sense, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, a lot more mm-hmm. from James Newton Howard. Let's talk the cast. Kevin Lomax is played by Keanu Reeves. You know him from Speed, Matrix movies, John Wick movies, Bill and Ted movies. He's got a lot of franchises under his belt. Uh, John Milton is played by Al Pacino. Hoo-ah! God- Hoo-ah! <laughs> from Sen of a Woman, Serpico, Godfather, Dog Day Afternoon, Scarface Heat. Tons of stuff yep. from Al Pacino. Uh, Marianne Lomax is played by Charlize Theron. Uh, she was one of her earlier roles that I remember her yeah. in. Uh, she was also obviously in Mad Max Fury Road. She was in Monster, Eon Flux, a lot of stuff from Charlize Theron. Uh, Eddie Barzoon is played by Jeffrey Jones. Uh, he We know him from Ferris Bueller. Yep. Uh, we know him from also Howard the Duck. He mm-hmm. was a villain in that one. He was in Amadeus, and he had some uh, child porn allegations as well. Yes. So it's, mm. I, got, I feel like I got to mention it because you just <laughs> it's, it's stuck with you now, yep. Jeffrey. It's stuck with you. Mrs. Alex Lomax, the mother, is played by Judith Ivey. Uh, John, you would recognize her voice because she voiced Eleanor Sherman, the mother, in The Critic. Oh, nice. She is also in Mystery Alaska uh, and playing a good few of other things as well. Christabella Andrioli is played by Connie Nielsen. She was in Gladiator, uh, Wonder Woman. She was in the movie Basic. Yep. So That's a movie I'm, I'm tempted to throw on, on our thing because... I I I spent a lot of time watching that movie, and I I, I don't basic know. or Gladiator? No, basic. Okay. I mean, I would watch Gladiator too. Yeah. Uh, but it it was kind of like one of those movies that fell by the wayside. I think I just kind of found it on video sure. uh, when I was in college and just watched the hell out of it. It's kind of like almost like a military. It's Samuel Jackson and uh, John Travolta, right? Yeah. 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 So it's kind of like a uh, military mystery movie almost. Yeah. Uh, and then the last person I'm going to mention right now is Alexander Cullen, uh, played by Craig T. Nelson. We know him from Coach. He's the voice of Mr. Incredible. And he was also on that long-running Parenthood show, the TV show, not the movie. Oh, okay. So, uh, this film had a box office of 50... Or, sorry, this this film had a budget of $57 million and a box office of $153 million. So, that's pretty good, yeah. pretty darn good return on investment. Yeah. And I'll say my nostalgia... For a little bit, I'll say I saw this movie. I, I'm almost dead certain I first saw it on TNT. Okay, I think I saw it first on TNT, but I was interested in it and I wanted to see more. And boy, and did so you! So I did, and so I got the DVD. I've had this is probably one of the longest owned DVDs I've had. Mm-hmm. It's actually still like one of those covers that has like the flip box at the at the side. You know, it's not even you know, it's just one. It's it's a really old mm-hmm. old style DVD box, but. Uh, yeah, I saw it, and I've owned it probably since college. Parts of this movie, what helped make me the man you see today? Fair enough. I think yeah. I first, I actually first found out about this movie, I think my freshman year of college, uh, there was uh, someone else in the percussion department um, who loved this movie and endlessly quoted it all the time. And I I, I think I had told him, oh, no, I'd never seen it. And so he insisted that I go rent it and I think I did or I might have just bought it at that point I'm not sure uh, and yeah. watched it and it became one of my regular rewatches when I didn't have cable and I only had DVDs to entertain me 
Yeah. Uh, when was the last time you saw this movie? Um, the last time I actually watched the movie all the way through, it's actually been a while. Yeah. Um, it's probably been at least over 10 years. I'd say probably the same for me as well, at least over a decade. Yeah. So. Uh, especially since I had kids. It's been a while since <laughs> yeah. I've seen that. <laughs> Can't watch this one around the kids. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, let's d- dive into our scene-by-scene scene breakdown. We start off uh, with this young girl on a witness stand. Uh, that young girl, Heather, played by Heather Matarazzo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recognize her. She was in the Princess Diary movies, yep. uh, among other things. Uh, but she's giving her statement of when her teacher, who is the defendant, sexually assaulted her. And she's telling us about all this stuff that happened. And we meet Kevin Lomax, who is the defendant's lawyer. Um, he notices also that that teacher, uh, who that teacher, character's name is Lloyd Geddes, is played by Chris Bauer. I know him from The Wire. He was in season two of The Wire in mm. particular. He was also in True Blood and The Deuce, uh, which is another show recently. But um, I like him a lot as an actor. But he's the teacher, scumbag. He's like listening to her tell her statement. And he's kind of rubbing the table suggestively, and then he starts rubbing his dick suggestively. Like it's, we know it's getting him Randy, right? Which is obviously giving the indication, uh, you know, yeah, that he's aroused, and that therefore he's guilty. You yeah. know that this this young girl is absolutely he did this to her. Yeah. So uh, Lomax sees it, and he's freaked out. He asks for a recess. He uh, at first advises you know Lloyd to keep the fuck away from him. Uh, and Lomax, you know, doesn't want to defend him anymore. And so he goes into the bathroom to kind of get away for a second to kind of think, uh, there's a reporter that comes in, uh, who apparently is kind of like this small town. They live in Gainesville, Florida. So a small, smaller town, Florida, the reporter comes in, kind of gives us some more exposition that Lomax has been, you know, this hotshot lawyer and, oh, this might be, you know, your first blemish. So he hasn't lost any of his cases, all this kind of stuff. And maybe this is the one to lose now. Um, and so that ends up kind of he looks into the mirror and looks into himself. And this gives him kind of the motivation and the the mindset to get back in there to win this case. So he goes back in there. He questions the girl and he pushes her to make, you know, about her that she wrote a note making fun of the uh, the teacher and that she pushed the other girls to lie about this. Um, and she ends up breaking down and saying, yes, I didn't want to be the only one um, because, of course, this is a traumatic thing for her and. But she apparently had pushed other girls to also lie about it. And so it also shows um, that Kevin, as a lawyer, is brutal. <laughs> he will do whatever. I mean, the way he's just absolutely tearing down this high school girl. Yeah. And just in the name of you know him being, you know, to doing what, of winning. It's not doing what's right. He's doing in the name of winning to win. Even though he knows, or, you know, in his, in his eyes, this guy pretty much fucking did it. But he makes her cry. But his defense works. He wins in the case, and then his wife leans over, Marianne. We see her, Charlie's Theron, gorgeous, very curly hair. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, all right, we won. Time to party. And so we cut to them, including even like the newspaper person um, out kind of at a bar. They're drinking, you know, all this kind of stuff. While they're out, while they're at the bar, this guy, uh, Lehman Heath, uh, gives a card to Kevin and says he's this dude from New York and he wants to potentially retain him for their services and have him help them pick a, uh, a jury at their big case. And Lomax first thinks it's a joke, but it's not a joke and it's going to be all expenses paid and shows him a big check and mm-hmm. gets his interest. Money so. talks. Yeah. Uh, at church the next day, uh, there's this singing, they're singing this church is singing a song. <laughs> 
What I loved about this scene, nothing sounds professional. Oh, the drummer doesn't sound professional. The singing doesn't sound... It literally sounds like a bunch of people in a small town church. Yeah. yeah. So, I, the, which to me actually just makes it a little bit more authentic feeling because <laughs> it doesn't sound like, like an overly professional group of musicians were performing at a small town church. It's just local yeah. people. <laughs> so... Uh, but yeah, Kevin talks to his mother and she's apparently a extremely religious person and she doesn't, you know, want him going to New York. It's full of heathens and all this kind of stuff. And But you can just kind of also tell that Kevin's been spoon fed that kind of stuff all his life mm-hmm. and he's just kind of over it. Yeah. You know, he knows religion plenty. He knows the church, but he's tired of it. And so he's he's going to go. Yeah. So. In New York, uh, Lomax works with uh, the team to pick jurors, and he's showing off his skills. Like, There's also this other kind of main defendant who bickers with him at first, but it has to go along with it, and just kind of can tell Kevin knows what the hell he's doing. So, um, Outside, we do very briefly see John Milton, who is watching Lomax, just kind of keeping his eye on him. And the character uh, was named after the author of Paradise Lost. Oh, okay. Okay. Which is another story about the devil. Yeah, huge. I've never, never read. I've never read much it about Paradise Lost. Yeah. Oh, and I did notice, and I, I saw this. I wanted to bring this up. Um, so the film's name, The Devil's Advocate, it's actually apparently was an actual of, official position within the Catholic Church at some point called that was kind of gone by the name Devil's Advocate, which was like a, a lawyer appointed by the church to argue against the canon, canonization of a candidate. So against like someone um to becoming a you know getting into sainthood to become a saint oh, okay and so they would hire someone to be like hey look at all their stuff tell us why we shouldn't and so oh, literally okay. it was kind of like an old catholic lawyer you know pushing against that role so it's it interesting i didn't know that hmm. so uh, at the hotel uh marianne uh, says her mother that his mother called and she's got bad feelings of course uh, and kevin toys with mary a little bit about stuff and mentions that they won eventually. And so, yeah. Not fucking guilty! Not fucking guilty! And so he is doing well. He uh, He's he's obviously... Uh, he is a hot shot. Yeah. He's good at his job. So, uh, Lehman shows Kevin around, the, around their office, which is very impressive. Uh, particularly impressive, Kevin notices this woman in a red dress. Very attractive lady. Uh, he's kind of immediately infatuated by her. Uh, and then... They take him to Milton's office, which almost dungeon dungeon like. Yeah. Interesting look. Yeah. And here we find out that Kevin was in the DA's office for a long time. He had sixty four straight convictions, and then he swapped over to defense. There's more. There's and he's been undefeated in that. There's better better money in defense, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, Milton asks about. Uh, Lomax's early life and that he never knew his father and his mother was never married and which was tough in a small town, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, so just setting up some of the stuff that we're going to find out more about later. Uh, they talk and I, you know, they're discussing of our, obviously they're kind of Milton's testing Kevin a little bit and uh, trying to see, you know, about his interest in a job. And I do like the line here. Are we negotiating? Always. Are we negotiating? Always. <laughs> So there's a lot of these good lines in this film. Like I, when you said you had a friend who would quote it, I'm not surprised because yeah. I mean Al Pacino is really good at you know delivering one-liners. Yes, uh, and he does offer Kevin a job. So there we go. Uh, and Lehman obviously he takes it because Lehman shows Kevin and Marianne their new apartment, which is like this you know 
huge place. Apparently, we find out Lehman and his wife Jackie live across the hall, even. Mm-hmm. And Mary is she's all in. It's great. Like they're they're going to be making a bunch of money and working, living in New York. Like what a great time. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be wonderful. Or is it? Oh, oh. <laughs> At the firm, Kevin meets the whole team. Uh, we meet this guy, Walter Krasna, who's the maritime law person played by Paul Benedict, who you've seen probably in Spinal Tap. He was in Adam's Family, Val, or Adam's Family. He was the judge that they, that they Gomez oh. kept hitting the golf balls yeah. into his house. Um, he was also the mad painter on Sesame Street. Okay. Uh, the media guy, Takori Osumi, is the uh, name of the uh, character, mm-hmm. but the actor is played by James Saito. A lot of small parts and things. But I guarantee you, you remember him from one role in particular, and that was because he played the Shredder in the 1990 yeah. Teenage Mutant Turtles movie. Yeah. So, and there's some other people. We also meet Eddie Barzoon here, who's real estate and whatnot, and Christina Bella uh, Adrioli uh, is the woman in red, right? Um, and she's uh, works in international trade and customs and whatnot. Kevin uh, gets his office, and he's given immediately his first case to work on. It's going to be a test for him, this uh, uh, Moyes case, basically. And um, we also see Marianne picking out fabrics for their place. And she's already getting overwhelmed, mm-hmm. you know, because there's so many options and all this kind of stuff. And I imagine for like a small town, you know, person, I, I, I say that, but I mean, I kind of did that. I guess I wasn't small town. I was in the suburbs and moved to L.A. But right. for someone who I guess who's thrust into... I wasn't thrust into rich society. Right. I wasn't thrown into all right. those options. I moved out to LA and I had to share a bedroom. Right. Well, and what so. what what doesn't help, you know, which I think is intentional, uh, is that uh, Lehman's wife Jackie, who is with her for a lot, yeah. is kind of criticizing pretty much every decision she makes. Yeah, she, you'll see in general, pretty much every time that she talks about stuff. Yeah, it's Jackie person, not a fan of her, not a fan of her, but. But yeah, Kevin does get there to help out with some of this stuff, and it's just this time he's able to get there. But that is also what we're going to see is that further and further, Kevin is just always working, and uh, Marianne is just kind of left by herself and just kind of feeling lost. So, all right, Kevin goes to visit his new defendant. We kind of first meet this supernatural woman out at first. She's kind of like, she's got a dog that she silences. You can tell people in the neighborhood are scared of her in that area. Um, it's very voodoo-esque, right. and we go down, and he meets Moyes, who is played by awesome character actor Delroy Lindo. Yeah. He's in The Core, Get Shorty, Malcolm X, uh, and there's just freaky shit going on, and he's pulling out, like, this cow tongue, and he's got these needles, and he's going to obviously do something that is obviously, yeah, voodoo-esque, which I like, um, because, of course, knowing where the movie goes, you're just kind of like, okay, this guy has some kind of connection with the devil or yeah. he's made some kind of deal that he can do this or he's, I guess, voodoo, you might not quite worship the devil, right. but there's there's tie-ins with evil and voodoo. It, it gives us our real first supernatural taste. Yeah. Which helps, I think, helps to kind of ease us into what we see a little bit later. You're right, because at this point, you know, it, it could be weird circumstances that, you know, or like, you know, coincidences. Right. But there are these just, you're right, a little bit, that's a perfect way to put it. They ease us into, by the end, it's like full-blown supernatural. Right. But we take little steps to get there. Yeah. So, uh, Kevin's working a lot while, yeah, Mary is painting the house. And here you see, yeah, Jackie just being a bitch about all the different color choices. (laughs) (laughs) Just want to be like, well, fuck you. What color are your walls? Who was played by Tamara Tooney, 
who was a longtime actress on Law and Order Special Victims Unit. So we'll tie that in. That oh, way. okay. Perfect. Perfect. Nice little tie in. Oh, yeah. In general, we see Marianne's just frustrated about it all and also that she feels kind of worthless. She doesn't have a job or any of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff right here. So, and just in general, that she has not seen Kevin in a while and. Jackie also doesn't see Lehman's, but she seems more content and happy. And yeah. She's already given in to the dark side, if you will. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's court time for the Moyes case. And Kevin's pushing Moyes's freedom of religion and his beliefs. And the prosecutor keeps coughing. Uh, something happened to, you know, his mouth and tongue. It, we, you know, could tell probably tied into whatever Moyes was doing earlier. Um, but yeah, just those supernatural vibes happening. And the case gets dismissed. And John Milton congratulates Kevin and all this kind of stuff. So he's, again, he's doing very well. Apparently on the uh, uh, director's commentary on the DVD, after they finished uh, filming this scene where the the guy had to just cough violently for a long time, Uh uh, he got a a standing ovation from the crew for his actual performance of all the coughing. It probably probably sucked. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure it was not fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So Milton and Lomax talk on the street. And Milton kind of mentions, you know, what makes t- such an advantage for him because he stays small and he's not letting people, you know, know he's coming. Mm. And that's kind of his advantage over Kevin. So he's just not as obtrusive. Kevin, you know, looks very nice and bright where Al Pacino's just kind of looks looks more every man. So uh, Kevin gets home. Uh, they go to a party at Eddie's Eddie Barzoon's place. Uh, Marianne goes with looking great, but she doesn't want to be left alone. You know, she just wants to be with Kevin and steer on him. So the first they show him around, we see some cameos from some real politicians, things like that. Uh, And then Kevin and Marianne do get separated. Marianne meets John Milton at the party and they talk and he's kind of creepy flirts stuff and that kind of stuff. She mentions she misses her small town or he asks if she misses her small town and family and whatnot. She mentions at first, well, you know, when, she, when asked, prompted about if she misses her family, she says, well, the, the only thing worse to not having a father is having mine. And his response is great. He says, I can relate. <sighs> I can, believe me. I can relate. Believe me, I can. <laughs> Which, knowing the idea of the devil. Right. You know, because, spoiler alert, he's the he devil. literally <laughs> the devil, yes. <laughs> Sorry. The, the whole idea is the devil was a fallen angel. He hated the way God ran things and, yeah. and didn't agree with him. And so, like, God being his father, and he can relate to not, you know, liking his father, I think works so well right here. Yeah. They do a good job of a little foreshadowing in this movie. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Um, John, then, uh, John Milton makes a suggestion about her hair and, you know, that she should cut it shorter. Now, granted, her having her hair up the way she did looked good. Yeah. I think she should have just had it up. He he suggests cutting it and using her natural color. I liked I liked her curly up hair myself. But okay, she's she's Charlie Theron's beautiful yes. no matter what. I actually like even bald as Furiosa. Yeah, I actually liked the shorter hair later. Oh, you like the short? Okay, yeah. I see. I like the the blonde curly a little bit better, but I did like it up when she had it. Up I, in this, I will say this. it definitely looked better up than it did down. Yeah, yes. So down Absolutely. it looked a little too uh, Southern Belle, big. Yeah, big I mean, yeah, and curly. Belle eighties prom. Yeah, yeah, kind of thing. But yeah, so he he suggests that and a little flirty, as I mentioned. So meanwhile, Kevin, distracted at the party with the woman in red, um, you know, he's outside talking to her. And this uh, was one of the worst looking shots of the movie because it was so blatantly a blue screen. Oh, yeah. 
that it just I, I it immediately took me out like whoa we were we were from inside on an obvious set to ah, now we're on this blue screen um but it, that didn't hold up but you know what all right I'm moving along sure He's asking about, oh, you know, she apparently lives downtown as they're just kind of talking because a lot of people from the company live in the same building. She said, no, it's a family building. I'm like, huh, interesting. Hmm. Not sure what that comment means. But yeah. again, thinking about it back, I'm curious, you know, if there's some other little more hints uh, dropped in about the twist of this movie. And I actually even theorize that almost everyone in that building is one of his children. Ah, Okay. So, including um, Heyman, I definitely think Eddie is was a former was a kid of his. Okay, you know that just that's just my because he. Well, we'll get to it, but yeah, that, I think this line kind of helps which, that. Theory yeah, but which me. is weird because it also comes out later that she is also one of his. I know, children. which is that 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 goes against my bit because yeah. if it was a family building, why wouldn't she be in there? Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. They flirt a little bit and whatnot. Uh, then John Milton comes out and he pulls out, hey, I see the future of the law firm. So, again, he's tying them together into the future. So we will see that. Uh, Marianne is having trouble finding Kevin. And then John uh, has Kevin and Heath and Eddie uh, go up to uh, his apartment to talk. And they see his apartment, which is just one massive room. Yep. It's just there's no bedroom. There's no anything. And Kevin asks, where does he sleep? Where does he sleep? Who says he sleeps? Where does he fuck? Everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> just Apparently there was so a Pacino. there was a scene and there was a, a scene cut from from this where Marianne walks into the library in Eddie's apartment and there's three people having a threesome and they asked her to join them and then she walks out and the, that whole scene was cut. I it wouldn't it wasn't necessary. I agree. I would say it yeah. wasn't necessary. Yeah. All right, a regular uh client of theirs uh, who we know is Cullen. He apparently has been charged with murdering three people, and he's uh, they're going to put Kevin on the case, which, of course, Eddie doesn't think so because he thinks he's too green, but Milton insists, and so that's going to be that. Kevin eventually gets uh, home, and Mary Ann, of course, is upset with him for leaving her and all this kind of shit, so uh, we then meet Alexander Cullen, and they do convince him to hire Kevin and use him as his uh, defense lawyer, so... Uh, Marianne goes shopping with Jackie and Eddie Barzoon's wife, and they're all in this je- dressing room, and we get some nudity here. Right. Uh, nice nice nudity in here. Jackie talking about her new tits uh, and all the stuff they did. You know, it's oh, big, but they're not too big. And like they look to me, they look very natural. I don't think that they were fake at all. No, 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 no. But, you know, and she even has Mary feel them where you can just tell that Marianne is uncomfortable yeah. in this situation. Uh, And then all of a sudden she sees a weird demonic face on Jackie and she screams. She freaks out. Uh, She is not going to be there. We cut to her yelling at Kevin. She does not like it here. She doesn't feel comfortable. Um, She had at this point, she had cut her hair kind of like what Milton was recommending for her and using her natural color. Um, And she mentions she never sees Kevin anymore. She's just not happy. She's lonely. Mm -hmm. Kevin to kind of assuage the situation recommends they work on a child. So that's it. So they're going to do on that. So they're going to start practicing working on a child right then and there. And he <laughs> takes her top off. But when he takes the top off, it's not her face he sees. It is Christina Bella's face. Yep. And, you know, her body. And we kind of get this back and forth. You know, he's kind of cutting back and forth to seeing her versus seeing uh, his wife. 
and all this kind of stuff. So, but it kind of ends up getting a little, a little uncomfortable for Mary at this point. Yeah. But. So this, this role was, um, Charlize Theron's first nude scene. Okay. And she, apparently she thought very long and hard about whether or not she even wanted to do the movie, but she loved the character. Um, because I, 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 out of all the characters, I think she goes through the biggest change the fastest. Yeah. And so I could yes. see that. Apparently, she was originally offered the role in Showgirls, uh, and she turned it down because of the nudity, but she loved this character so much she decided to go through with it. And she was only 21 at the time, um, which was oddly different because Keanu Reeves was 31 at the time. So yeah. there was a 10-year yeah. difference in that, I- but... I mean, she's a beautiful, beautiful young lady. I can, I like to imagine her in Showgirls, but I enjoyed Elizabeth Berkley in Showgirls right. too. Also, as well. speaking to that, uh, the producers almost originally didn't want her because they actually thought she was too pretty for the role. It, you know what? I when I was doing my casting, I was thinking to myself, man, and, and I cast my um, Marianne and my Christina Bella as people that they almost look similar, and I was like, well, you know what? They did that in the movie. I felt, I felt like these two ladies are both massively attractive Charlize Theron and Christina Bella mm-hmm. those or those those characters and but I was like you know you just you just kind of frump up one a little bit and then you doll up the other make her a little bit more hollywoody right. glamorous I, I also kind, kind of, of had a similar thought where I kind yeah. of picked two actresses who were kind of similar and I think it actually I think it kind of works even you know you know because right. um, I mean that's how they did it here um, but it kind of does feel like that you know Here's the small town version. First, here's the glamorized New York version. Yeah. But they're both similar looking. So, yeah. Okay. So, we all kind of kept that. That's interesting. Uh, the next day, Kevin works with Cullen on the case, and he's trying to keep him calm amidst the madness, of course. And right now, it definitely seems that Cullen, he didn't do this shit. Right. You know? And we all kind of believe it, even as an audience right now. Uh, later, uh, Kevin's mother is in town. Uh, Milton comes down uh, from his from his apartment introduces himself and they're all in the elevator together. And the mother just seems uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. She's unsettled. Yeah. Uh, and we also see Christina Bella and some other woman are kind of with him. They're in the elevator is Mr. Lomax, obviously vi- visibly shaken from John. Uh, he even mentions, Oh yeah. Hey, you were in New York before, weren't you? Or something like that. And she was like, and she doesn't even say anything. She's just kind of paralyzed right. at this point. John even invites Kevin to, uh, to go upstairs with him or go out with him or whatever it is um, to talk about the Cullen case. Kevin wisely passes yes. at this time because it definitely seems like it would have led to uh force some action. Yeah. <laughs> so if I, right as the uh, elevator door closes, we do see Christina Bella licking the neck of the other right. lady. So we know what's going yeah. on. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next day, the mother wants to go home. She uh, honestly is just not comfortable being there. And she complains that Kevin isn't taking care of Marianne as well, which we all, no is true um, but also i can also kind of see from kevin's point at this time where marion's just kind of freaking out a little bit you know he's just trying to get used to his new job and all that kind of stuff but in general her psyche is getting broken uh kevin continues to work on the case he's talking to people to see who will testify on cullen's behalf and all this kind of stuff meanwhile he sees eddie barzoon is shredding a shit ton of documents late at night so there's some other kind of unrelated work things going on, and he's, you know, obviously there's some kind of corruption going on where they're shredding evidence, shit like this, and uh, Eddie tells him, you know, hey, don't tell anyone about this. Mm-hmm. So uh, Milton walks by and invites Kevin uh, to a fight at Madison Square Garden. So they're going to head that way, 
and they take a, a subway ride. And this Hispanic guy feels that uh, Milton's looking at him too much. He's really just staring at him way too much. And he's about to pull out a knife. He's about to cut him. Uh, and then Milton speaks to him in Spanish, telling him about his wife. That his wife uh, back at, at the house is smoking crack currently with uh, this other guy that he knows. And they're about to fuck. Mm-hmm. And if you can get home, put that knife where it, where it should go. Yep. So very creepy. The guy is obviously freaked out about it. And he's like, you better be right. And so, yeah. So he heads over and he's going to go do that. Uh, they watch the fight. And uh, it's uh, Roy Jones Jr. He was a boxer at that time. Obviously, I think they're using footage from a legit fight. Yeah, it's, it's a legit fight from like the previous year. Uh, and then Don King makes a cameo, comes by. <laughs> and of course, Don King knows Satan. Of course. Um, I mean, <laughs> Al Pacino. <laughs> but Kevin is continuing to party with Milton and all this stuff while Mary's on the phone upset and all this kind of shit. So we, we see that Milton has a way with women. He's got a power that he can control just maybe people in general. He gets a blowjob from under a table mm-hmm. at this at this restaurant uh, and all this kind of shit. Uh, Marianne uh, wakes up. And she sees in the middle of the night, someone's in the house. She's freaked out. She grabs a knife. She looks into the side room. There's a baby in there. And it's playing with something that looks like guts. Um, but I think we f- are find out later it's, it's ovaries. Yeah. Yep, that, she, that the baby is playing with. She looks down. Now she is bleeding kind of, you know, from her lower stomach area. Uh, we cut to Kevin explaining, no, it was all just a dream. Um, she's like, they took my ovaries. You know, she's having this massive mental breakdown, it seems, right now. And saying that a doctor told her she can't have children um, and thinks Kevin will leave her. And she's just she's freaking out. She is her mental stability um, is shot at this point. And so uh, Kevin, though, unfortunately, as always, gets a call and he's got to leave to go work. So he goes to see Cullen, who we find out find out Cullen had a prenup and also that he has been potentially fucking around with some other woman. And that might ruin the prenup, which means he would lose, lose a lot of money, which leads to the motive to kill her. And he's like, uh, yeah, I was. the problem is I was fucking my assistant the night she was murdered. Um, but he's like, but we can't tell anyone that, mm-hmm. you know, because he's worried about that information getting out. But again, right now, we definitely feel that Cullen hasn't done this. Uh, Kevin talks with Milton uh, about Marianne and all this kind of stuff, um, who Milton says, hey, you should take your time off, you know, take time off the case, take care of her. She's your wife. She's important. But. He wants to finish the case first. He says, I'll do this and then I'll go take care of her. And so, all right, that'll be the plan. In court, we get opening statements. And Kevin says uh, a pretty nice, interesting line here where he doesn't like Cullen. He doesn't care for the guy at all. But he's going to prove that he was elsewhere. And that's uh, which pisses off Cullen. Because it's, but he gets it because that's the whole plan is, hey, you're an asshole, but you're a cheating asshole. You're not a murderous asshole. Mm-hmm. That's the whole plan. That he's going to push. So, all right. Uh, Eddie talks to Kevin. Apparently, we find out his names on the firm's charter, and that you know he's somehow he's gotten written into all this stuff, making partner or whatever, all this weird stuff. Um, and so he threatens him um, and thinks he's even going after his job. All this kind of stuff. Here's where I think that's where that comes in, John. Like he, Eddie is very defensive about mm-hmm. Kevin rising up the ranks. Right. We also know Eddie has like a higher apartment here i think eddie is one of his kind of failed children if you will okay kevin tells milton about it who kind of tells him all about eddie and uh all this while we see he's kind of like this uh, ominous he's kind of speaking ominously about eddie and you know how how failure he is seeing eddie is getting chased by these invisible demons and then gets mugged by these 
homeless people who end up having like you know the demonic faces and mm-hmm. weirdly mary seems to see it at the same time i don't think she sees it out of her apartment i think she's just seeing it mentally oh really i i always took it as she actually is watching it happen outside of her window maybe maybe it's kind of it's kind of hard to tell you know i mean i i kind of get it that the just the demons are kind of in her head and she's visualizing it that way but you're right it, it is cut to a way that you could see it as she is looking outside of it outside of her window mm-hmm. so but yeah so now eddie is is dead because of that um, but yeah, that, so that's my theory that Eddie was a former failure and so uh, of his children, and so that's why he's killing him off. Kevin practices the testimony with the mistress slash assistant from Cullen, and he you know berates her with different questions, and then he gets to the question. You know, he just kind of says off the cuff, "Yeah, oh, you know, well, is is Mister Cullen circumcised?" And she hesitates; she doesn't know how to answer it, and she can't because she didn't practice that with Cullen mm-hmm. that we can infer. So all of this, simply not knowing this stuff, we realize that Cullen has probably either paid her off or is working with her to lie about their, not necessarily lie about their adultery, but to lie that they were sleeping together that night. Yeah. But if they're, I mean, you'd think she would know if they were sleeping together at all. I mean, maybe she just, True. maybe she just didn't pay attention. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe they, maybe he was just paying, or maybe they weren't sleeping together. Because I couldn't remember at the funeral. Was it her that comes with that, it at the funeral? It is, and so maybe okay. I don't know. Maybe he's just trying to get in her pants. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. They're not very clear on that whole thing. There's there's a but, bit of a question there. Yeah, fair. Because I I you know what I would assume then, if it was a totally different lady at the funeral, then I would guess he just paid her off. Right. But because it's the same one, you would kind of assume that they probably are sleeping yeah. together, and so she would know that. But all of that leads to Kevin realizing that she's lying mm-hmm. right now. And Cullen probably did do it. Uh, the, we also get that the, the entire firm has found out about Eddie right now that, you know, that he's dead. And they're all sad about that. So uh, Milton and Kevin talk about the case. You know, he's certain that she's lying and all this stuff, uh, lying about, you know, what Cullen was doing. And Milton thinks maybe it's his time to lose. He brings up, hey, you know. Even I've lost at times. Again, which we, I think nice little nods just knowing who the character is. Because, yeah, the devil doesn't always win. Sometimes, you know, through the stories of the Bible, he's lost. And Milton brings that up. But that ends up only motivating Kevin more. Uh, so in court, though he struggles morally, he does call the, mit- the mistress to the stand. And we cut to they won because of her testimony. So, which even though he, you know, morally and ethically shouldn't have done that. All right, Kevin gets home, and Mary is apparently in church, and so he runs there, worried about her. No, she's not doing well. Mary is wrapped up in a blanket, and obviously mentally is is really broken, Um, and she says, today in the afternoon, Milton came over, and she couldn't stop him. You know, maybe she wanted it. Uh, Again, kind of that way of how Milton can work, and Mm -hmm. he has slept with her, and Kevin says he's upset because, no, Milton was in court all day. He's been there the entire time. And then she takes off her blanket. She's fully nude. She's got these scars all over her body saying he did this to me. So apparently he, you know, in sex or whatnot, scratched her up really bad. Uh, All right. They cut to a mental facility. Kevin uh, has taken her in there. Um, She kind of blames. Maybe this is just basically karma for getting all those guilty people off all those years Mm. from stuff. Um, And we then cut to the funeral of Eddie Barzoon. Uh, Jack, he see Kevin is sitting next to Jackie and 
Uh, we see Christina Bella comes and sit next to him, and then in comes Cullen. Uh, and then, you know, as he's watching Cullen, who is sitting next to his mistress, he notices the face swap of the teacher. That same kind of, that teacher who obviously he knew uh, in his heart had done that stuff to the kid, he allowed it by getting him mm-hmm. uh, as a non-guilty uh, verdict. So, all right. And then uh, this guy, Weaver. So, Eddie, and I didn't really mention this earlier, Eddie kind of warned about this Weaver on the Justice Department, mm-hmm. you know, might be somebody that we need to watch out for. Um, so, anyway, he's come over and he wants to ask questions about Eddie to Kevin. And he, you know, tries to convince um, or tries to talk to Kevin to convince him, you know, see if Milton is that he's into all this kind of stuff, this best, all this bad stuff uh, mentions, he even kind of mentions the teacher from back in Florida uh, has been found with a 10 year old body in his trunk. Yep. And so furthering hitting the conscious of Kevin that shit, he is basically because of the cause of this. And all this meanwhile, we see Milton dip his finger into holy water and it boils. <laughs> and then a car hits this Weaver guy. Yeah. So I have another theory about Weaver. Okay. I don't think Weaver is just a Justice Department guy. I think Weaver is like an angel sent from God to try and pull back Kevin. And then because um, he, he mentions, you know, he's like, hey, no, he's trying to pull him like, hey, come to my side and and go against Milton. He's trying to, he's telling him about the teacher to try and bring him back. And then that's when the devil has him run over huh. <laughs> with the, that's what, that's my, that's my current theory on that. Character. That's cool. Hold on. At the uh, mental facility, Kevin's mom is there reading to Marianne and she's just looking away, zoned out completely. Uh, Kevin's mother tells him about his father, that she met this guy in New York, that he was a waiter. Kevin can immediately tell, you know, he doesn't want to hear it right now, but he does, you know, need to know, and it's it is Milton. She knew it at the elevator. He is her father, and Mary sees uh, she's there with Pam. Pam was kind of like the assistant to uh, I, I, to Kevin. Yeah, it was never really clear. I, I didn't know if like she was meant to be like his secretary or assistant or something like that. She definitely worked at the firm, pa- but it was never very clear. I think paraleg- we'll go paralegal. Okay, because she kind of gave some legal advice and like some stuff research. Yeah, well. it was never quite clear exactly what her role sure. was. But she was there kind of helping out and kind of like, you know, looking you know, into mm-hmm. a mirror with, the, oh, look how pretty you are, Marianne. And Marianne sees her face and she's got a demonic face. So she like shoves the mirror in her <laughs> face. She's like pushes her out. She freaks out, locks the door and then sees from that mirror the broken glass, pulls it out. And as Kevin is trying to bash his way in to stop her, cuts her jugular and kills herself. Cuts her own jugular yeah. and kills herself. It's a dramatic so. scene. It is a dramatic scene. Kevin, and I'll say... Keanu Reeves is a good job emoting. Yeah. You know, he's intense. He's he's crying and yelling and he's just, you know, not sure what to do. And I think that seems pretty pretty on point. So later, yeah, so it actually it actually was after this later he has his mother finish the story of the waiter and that's where it's revealed that John Milton is his father. Um, and so Kevin is going to go confront him. And uh, he goes outside on the New York street. No one is there. Mm-hmm. It's fucking New York. Yeah. It's completely empty. It's like this is again more supernatural stuff. Further and further build of this freaky new supernatural shit going on right now. And uh, Kevin gets to Milton's office. He pulls a gun on him. You know, I, Milton, what a dick. <laughs> He's talking about when he fucked his wife, when he t- fucked Marianne. And she's like, eh, I give her about a seven. Seven out of ten. I'm just like, geez. And that's where he unloads his gun on him. But the bullets don't even phase yeah. Milton at all. 
Um, in fact, he enjoys the fury that he is seeing from Kevin right now. You know, he asks him, you know, oh, about, you know, oh yeah, you, would you ever wonder, Kevin? Do you ever wonder why you were so good? And it's, uh, oh, it's because you're my father. I'm a little more than that, Kevin. I'm a little more than that, Kevin. He's <laughs> <laughs> just about to. He's he's Satan. Yeah. Call me dad. <laughs> <laughs> like that's some good good lines. Al Pacino has great delivery. I. My personal opinion is that Al Pacino delivers two of his top 10 best monologues in this film. My favorite of the two is the one during this scene, especially when he starts talking about God. He's like, God, let me give you the inside info on God. That whole monologue is fantastic. I also think that the one that happens uh, over the Eddie Barzoon death scene is also a really good monologue. And it like... I at one point I tried to memorize this entire end mo- the end monologue here because it's so it's such a good rant. Pacino does rants really really well. He does absolutely. Uh, so yeah, Milton explains to Kevin that Mary's fall was Kevin's choice because he didn't stop to go take care of her. He didn't put her first. He always put the job first and he got these people acquitted, you know, and getting all these people acquitted was his choice because he wanted to win so badly. Mm -hmm. Um, He wanted to be the big shot. And he's even kind of mentioned before, uh, or he's mentioned that vanity, you know, is his his favorite sin, you know, because people just, they want to feel big. They want to feel good. And then in walks Christina Bella and we find out it's his half sister. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's another one of the, the family members from, the devil has sired, if you will. And she's in the know at this point. And he says, I have so many children and so many disappointments. And here's where I kind of go back to sure. Eddie on that. And I think tying in Eddie thinking that Kevin was taking his job because he kind of was as the next right hand man of the devil mm-hmm. and, you know, his son, that kind of stuff. So that's just my thought. And Milton here. Yeah. Great monologue. Milton talks about God and all this kind of stuff saying he's a tight ass. He's a sadist. He's a tight ass. He's a sadist. He's an absentee landlord. Worship that never. An absentee landlord. Yeah. I love that <laughs> line. Isn't pretty funny. Well, he all that all that Satan wants to do, all that you know, Milton wants to do is nurture man's desires. He's a humanist, and I do love his line. It nobody can deny that the 20th century was was his. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just how how corrupt everything went. It was all it was all for the devil, basically. Milton's grand plan, bringing Kevin here and all this kind of stuff is to get him coaxed by uh, Christina Bella because he wants his two children to... Im- he wants him to impregnate his half-sister. Mm-hmm. He wants uh, basically the child being created from it basically becoming the Antichrist. Right. Then Kevin's like, okay, he's kind of listening to the deal. What are you offering? And Al Pacino... We negotiating? Always. We negotiating? Always. <laughs> nice little flip-flop yeah. on that one from what we heard before. Uh, so they kind of negotiate a little bit. All, all this while Christina Bell is putting on some music and kind of start working on trying to seduce Kevin. Um, and then, you know, Kevin also brings up why the law and all this kind of stuff is because the law is the ultimate backstage pass and it's the new priesthood, baby. <laughs> get, get you into everything. Uh, and Christina disrobes. Good looking lady. And uh, Kevin's about to have sex with her on the table. A nice, a nice line here. Uh, what about love? Al Pacino leans over. Overrated. Biochemically no different than eating large quantities of chocolate. <laughs> I love that. That I like a lot, that line. Yeah. Uh, and Kevin, you think, think, is about to go through with it until he grabs the gun that he brought in and he shoots himself in the head. 
And so he can't, uh, you know, impregnate his half-sister being dead. And so Milton, the devil, now lights things ablaze. You see fire behind him. He's really pissed off. He gets kind of lit on fire. uh, And then he ends up lighting basically Christina Bella, kills her Mm -hmm. off. He's just super pissed because I guess his plan had to go through this certain way. Then he kind of turns into a younger version of, I guess it's a, kind of turns into a version of Kevin, but I think it's a younger version of himself. Right. I think it was meant to be like him as as the angel. Yes, yeah, before he had kind of fallen. Right. So him as Lucifer, the angel, yeah. uh, but I guess, he, you know, he looked like Keanu Reeves back in that day or whatever, but tie in that he's the dad, so all right, all right. And then uh, then we return out of nowhere, kind of like from, from Keanu Reeves' eye, from Kevin's eye. He was in the bathroom. He's still back in the bathroom of that first court case with the teacher. And that news reporter kind of walked in and whatnot. Um, he's still there. So he walks into the to the courtroom. He kisses Marianne. He's happy to be back her, with her. Um, and it's Kevin's time to question the student. But he is mentioned he decides he is no longer going to represent the client. And he's got a conscience now. This whole ordeal that may or may not have happened to him gonna give him this conscience and so he's doing the right thing uh and then the other that press guy who we talked about him in the bathroom with he defends him and he's like hey man, this is a great story you know a lawyer with a conscience all this kind of stuff you're gonna be a star and you even kind of see kevin uh, liking that idea a little bit and so he walks away and then that reporter turns into milton yep. milton was there the entire time as him and he had mentions to the camera vanity definitely my favorite sin Kind of what he had brought up right. earlier. So he still is trying to manipulate. He's going to be trying to manipulate Kevin either yep. way. So, And then we get an end song, Paint It Black by the Rolling Stones. No colors anymore, I want them to turn black. I mean, that's so, there, there are worse end songs to end on. Oh, it's a great song great song and i feel like you know yeah they have like sympathy for the devil is another good rolling stone one that would have made sense but that was already used yeah. in uh interview with the vampire yeah. so you can't really do that one again but uh but yeah that's the end of the movie so john i'd love to hear your thoughts on rewatching this one since it's been a decade for both of us yeah i love this movie ever since i first saw it i thought it was fantastic i still think it's fantastic sure there's some technical things that you know aren't as good as they could be you know now but the acting is honestly i think just top tier throughout this movie al pacino goes ham with his scenes both believable as a lawyer and believable as the devil i think this is one of keanu's better acting moments from the 90s it's not all perfect Uh, i think Charlize theron does an amazing job with the kind of the emotional change that happens yeah. with her, it just takes you on this awesome, wild, supernatural journey that you're both rooting for and against the devil the whole time. Because to me, like Al Pacino, just he makes he makes the devil so lovable in yeah. a way. So yeah, yeah. My couple notes from the movie is it's longer than I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was. Two hours and 24 minutes, and it just, it did, honestly, I was like, oh, am I almost done yet? Fuck, I'm only halfway through, (laughs) you know, but I also kind of thought to myself, I'm not sure if this is going to hold up, because I feel like this is a movie that a lot of people shit on, and I think, like, critics didn't care for it, I think, 
I don't think it was like super well received, but I did remember liking it. And so, you know, I was like, hey, as an adult, will this hold up? And in my head, yes, actually, it does. I do. I actually liked it. I enjoyed rewatching it. Um, it's got a healthy amount of that Pacino overacting cheese, but I think it sure. works perfectly for his character here. I, I agree. The movie itself is probably overly dramatic at certain times, but again, I think it worked, and I actually really liked repeated viewings. And some of the things that I told you about my theories, I only came up with watching it this time. Okay. Like my theories about like that, hey, maybe that whole, you know, maybe everybody, every like of the people that he brings into that firm, or at least that live on that area... Uh, or live in that building. Cause that firm that his firm does a whole bunch of different shit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not all just lawyers, it's real estate, it's media, it's all this other stuff. I think most of those people might even be his different children, but he saw something in Kevin that he liked the best and thinks this is the one who is going to give me my antichrist. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's my thought. And overall, and the same thing with like the angel, I thought that I came up with that this time, but I think I, I like it. I've talked myself into it. So, yeah, I think repeat viewings are really good, and I enjoyed this movie. And I think, you know, if anybody hasn't seen it, I think it obviously is better for adults as it's very R. Mm. Uh, but it goes through some interesting stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really strong movie, and I'd say underrated movie. Cool. All right. Now we're going to talk Law & Order. Uh, it originally aired from 1990 to 2010. It had 20 seasons, 456 episodes on NBC. But John, it was brought back just last year in 2022. Mm. They had a, they have had two more seasons, so it's and 32 more episodes. Or so it's now kind of back in production okay. uh, of the regular one because it stopped uh, for a while. Uh, it was created by Dick Wolf, and he's written episodes for Hill Street Blues and Miami Vice. He also created other shows like New York Undercover, FBI, Chicago Med, uh, slash Chicago PD, slash Chicago Justice, and all the other Law and Orders. And there are a lot, and we will talk about them. <laughs> and some of them, even well, well, one of them, even more popular than the main sure. one. Uh, the cast, and it's a seriously huge right. cast. Like I said, twenty seasons, uh, twenty-two seasons right. actually. And so I'm just going to go over a good few of people who have appeared in the most amount of episodes. Sure. And then I'll mention, I think I got a, tons of other kind of other people I'll bring up. Uh, so uh, the in the DA's office, kind of the main person I think of when I think of Law & Order is Sam Watterson. Yeah. Uh, and he played Jack McCoy uh, from the DA's office. Uh, he was in Grace and Frankie. That's the 70s movie, uh, Great Gatsby. He was in Serial Mom. Remember that, but this is the thing that I think he gets yeah. known for the best. Uh, Lieutenant Anita Van Buren was played by S. Apatha Merkerson. I'm not sure if I pronounced that properly, mm. but she's also been in uh, Chicago Med. She was in the movie Lincoln as well as Black Snake Moan. Mm. Detective Lenny Briscoe was played by Jerry Orbach. Uh, he was the dad. He also another another of the faces that I think of most with Law and Order. Um, he was the dad in Dirty Dancing. Mm. Uh, he also did the voice of Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast. And he was in Universal Soldier. Uh, D.A. Adam Schiff is played by Stephen Hill. He was in The Firm, Raw Deal, the old Mission Impossible show as well. Uh, Detective Ed Green was played by Jesse L. Martin. Uh, he's in Rent, uh, The Flash yep. Show. Uh, he's in like the more recent yep. Flash Show. And uh, medical examiner, examiner Dr. Elizabeth Rogers uh, was played by Leslie Hendricks. And she was in... Incur- uh, criminal intent for a lot of episodes as well. So this is one of the spinoffs and she was in the Gotham, Gotham show. 
Uh, D.A. Arthur Branch, played by Fred Thompson. He is in Hunt for Red October, Die Hard 2, Days of Thunder. Good bit of stuff from him. Detective Michael Logan was played by Chris Noth. Uh, he is Mr. Big uh, in Sex and the yeah. City. He's also in The Good Wife and the movie Castaway. Uh, and then Detective uh, Ray Curtis was played by Benjamin Brett. And you know him from Miss Congeniality, The Voice on Coco. He's in the movie Traffic and Demolition yep. Man. Remember him from that one. A uh, ton of other actors. So other big names like this. Angie Harmon, Anthony Anderson, Diane Weist, J.K. Simmons. All of those people appeared in over 40 episodes. Oh, wow. Of this show. And like numerous a, celebrity guest spots. Yeah, ton. I mean, it's I, you're not going to have a show this long. Yeah, it's not going to. I think anyone happen. who's anyone has at least been on one episode of some form of Law sure. and Order. Sure. Yeah, amongst all of them, it's like The Simpsons. At some point, you just you got. I remember on. Kevin Smith <laughs> talking about wanting to be on the sh- like he got, he got a, a guest spot on the show simply because his mom loved the show and <laughs> and he just I think he played he he didn't play the guy who did it he played the guy that they at first think that did it the MacGuffin MacGuffin, yeah so the show itself it's set and filmed in New York City Uh, it follows kind of a two-part approach the first half hour basically an investigation of the crime crime usually it's murder and the apprehension of that suspect by the New York City Police Department detectives and the second half is the prosecution of the defendant Mm -hmm. by the Manhattan District Attorney plots are apparently often based on real cases that have recently made headlines and all the motivation for the crime and the perpetrator may be different. So they kind of tie things in, but they're pulling things from apparently real headlines. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Katie Sackhoff was in it. Yeah, everybody. Katie Sackhoff, Vivian Fox, Colin Meany. I'm seeing a shit yeah, ton yeah. of people. My God, just tons. That's the gist of the show. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the, the main thing. I do. You got to mention when you talk Law and Order, you got you got to talk the theme song by Mike Post. And that's, that's just iconic yeah. by this point. Dun, 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 dun. And even to the point where it's just that there's that sound of this, like, dun, dun. Like, that's just, that's also been parodied and caricaturized right. by a bunch of stuff, like by a whole bunch of shows. Law and Order is on the list of longest running scripted American primetime TV series. <laughs> that's kind of a lot of different things right. to say, but uh, number one being Simpsons. Right. Uh, number two being Law and Order SVU, and number three being Law and ah. Order. Um, not most episodes, because Gunsmoke is still number two in the number of episodes, but longest running, right. meaning throughout all, all these years. Uh, and so, as I've mentioned, SVU, so many spinoffs. Right. All right, let me talk sure. about this. Six different different TV series have come from Law and Order. Uh, these are six spinoffs. Uh, Special Victims Unit which is the biggest and arguably bigger than Null and Order because it's been on longer. Mm. It has more episodes. Criminal Intent. Uh, Trial by Jury. Uh, Law and Order Los Angeles. Law and Order True Crime. Law and Order Organized Crime. And they also even had a made-for-TV movie called Exiled, a Law and Order movie. <laughs> and then on top of that, there's a British adaptation called Law and Order UK. Oh, so there's okay. another one even. So it's just a bunch. Let's talk, I guess... Our nostalgia. I do remember mom watching this show. Oh, absolutely, I do. And it it was a sh- it's to me it was a show that was always 
it, it's always episodic. I mean, sometimes they'll have like through lines, but it, like most you know shows like that, it's very yeah. episodic. So it didn't matter if it's a big one. Maybe they'll run a two or three yeah. episodes for this one murder or something. But you but- you could watch a whole episode and feel satisfied at the end that you'd gotten the whole story. I remember it was never a show that I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna watch Law and Order. But if there was absolutely nothing else on, I would throw on Law and Order because it was always on somewhere, always. Yeah. Always, yes. Um, in fact, so. beforehand, um, because I don't have Peacock, I was like, oh, God, how am I going to watch this? Because I just recently got rid of our cable. I'm like, otherwise, I probably uh, could have just found it on cable somewhere. <laughs> easily, yeah. Which I ended up just, I couldn't actually find a full episode. I ended up just watching some clips on YouTube. Honestly, it, wasn't nece- it didn't necessarily matter. The sh- I did the same thing because you don't need, you get, you get the, the gist. gist. You yeah. understand because it's honestly, it's been on so long. Everybody kind of knows the vibe of the show, but also because this show set the freaking like standard for cop procedurals. Right. Like any show, you're going to have really good episodes, some really bad episodes, and most of them be right in the middle. Like I said, it was always a show that, you know what, if I had, if I, if I was forced to sit down and watch it, it was fine. I was going to be able to fall, you know, yeah. fall in the acting was good enough. There was nothing really, really bad about the show. Um, you know, I just was, I was not a devotee. Uh, and the show itself for me, it came on when I was too young to care about it. And, and I remember, I mean, I was forced to see some of it because mom would watch it. Sure. But by the time, like I got old enough to want to potentially care about it, it was way too, too much of an investment, you know? Now granted, you're right. It is the kind of show you don't have to go back and watch every season to understand the gist, mm-hmm. you know? But I just never really felt the need to watch it because I think I got it. And I'm not a cop procedural guy. I don't honestly get like I do like I remember watching Homicide Life on the Street. Honestly, that's a show I'm willing to give a try um, again, but it's I can't find it. Mm. And in general, though, I don't care for the other ones out there. They are like, you know, the SVUs, the NCISs, right. all that kind of stuff definitely took a lot of stuff from Law and Order. Absolutely. Um, and so it's 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 huge. But, I you know, I say that, but I do love but well, it's different. I love True Detective. I love The Wire. But those are a little bit more, I would say, elevated, artistic, and they are ones that you have to watch the whole series mm-hmm. and, and a whole, get a whole season to get it. The procedural episodic of here's this one case and we're going to wrap it up by the end of the episode and just kind of rinse and repeat with a new case. And eh, that one doesn't do it for me as much. Okay. Fair enough. So, um, the show itself did have a lot of crossovers. It crossed over with Homicide Life on the Street, among, I think, multiple other shows right. as well. Uh, so there's like this whole pretty much Law & Order universe out there. Uh, and it won six Emmys during the run of the show. It's, it's Honestly, ranked. I'm shocked it was only six. Yeah, me too. It got nominated for quite a bit more. But yeah, when I saw only six for that long run, surprising. But it is it does get ranked on like multiple like best shows of all time lists by like Entertainment Weekly and TV Guide. Sure. So... Uh, but yeah, so that's the gist that I've got of Law and mm-hmm. Order. I didn't like that it was kind of hard to find an entire episode, but again, I didn't need it. I understand right. the vibe. Yeah. I do think the show is good for what it does. Yeah. It's just not my thing, but I do think, you know, it set the precedent for, you know, or at least it, it perfected the cop procedural. Um, it's a big part of TV, especially with all of its uh, different spinoffs. Hell, it's parodied all the time, I feel, as well. Mm-hmm. But it's just a it's a good show. It's just not my show. Honestly, I think partly because by the time 
I would want to, you know, now that I'm adult to watch it, mm-hmm. it's played out. Like, there's so many right. of these types of shows. Yeah. Just too many. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good. You know, I got to give it its props. I got to give it its props. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... Simple, easy, basic. Add a little push and pull. Windmill or the spin maneuver. Or the figure eight move. We got what we call the roll. Accept no imitation. What it is, kids. The original Harvey Freeman Devil Sticks by Panax Consumer Products. All right, now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As mentioned at the top, we are going to recast The Devil's Advocate using actors of today. And I got to say, I think I think I came with a solid cast. Yeah, I'm, I'm think, happy about mine as well. I think there's a couple that maybe I'm a little wary or wishy-washy on, but I think I've got some some good choices. We're going to do Kevin, John Milton, Marianne, Eddie Barzoon, Alice Lomax, who is the mother, uh, Christabella, and Alexander Cullen. I figured I'd stop right there because there were way too many. I could have kept going with characters. And I was like, you know what? That's enough. You yes, know. plenty. Uh, I will start us off with my Alexander Cullen. And I will be honest, I was absolutely uh, swayed by recently seeing this movie. And by recently, meaning I saw this movie two days ago. And as I then then I started to do this casting, and I was like, "Oh, I liked that guy in this movie. I'm going to pick him for this character, just just to change things up, and just because I think it would be nice to see more of him." Uh, for my Alexander Cullen, I went with Chuck Woody Iwuji, who played the High Evolutionary in Guardians Three. Ah, uh, okay. I I personally didn't love the High Evolutionary. I didn't think his performance was bad. I think the direction they took with him. Okay, fair he enough. was this. He was weirdly overly dramatic or not overly emotional. Like he uh-huh. just would get bouts of yelling. And I think maybe that's. And, and I can see. I guess I think I see where they are going with it. Where he's supposed to be this. You know, you think high evolutionary. You think stoic, calm at all times. Right. And I think that's what I was expecting. But he was on the other side. He was like psycho, overly emotional. And I think maybe they were playing with a juxtaposition on that. Sure. Because he's supposed to, he's like, oh, he's making the perfect all these other creatures, but he himself is obviously flawed. Right. Um, as an actor, I liked him, though. And I've mm-hmm. seen him in other stuff, and so I like him. as I think it's definitely a good call. Okay. And who did you pick? Yep. Um, so, a guy who I don't think I've seen him, he probably could have done, like, creepy killer vibes. Because Alexander Cullen actually kind of needs to do, have that, but not really. Because um, he's, most of the time you think, oh, he's actually innocent until the very end. But I went with an actor who is good. We actually talked about him not too long ago in uh, uh, the Star Trek uh, First Contact movie in a small part because he eventually mm-hmm. got uh, assimilated. We've seen him in Minority Report and Dum Dum as Dum Dum Dugan in Captain America. I went with Neil McDonough as my Alexander Cullen. That's a good choice. Yeah. A, he's a great I was trying to equate a little bit to Craig T. Nelson, and I felt sure. like, eh, he's got the same vibe. Yeah. No, I totally see that. Yeah. Ooh, all right. Christabella Andrioli. Who did you pick? So, this was tough, because I absolutely want... you got to pick someone who is beautiful. I don't think 
the act the actress was good, but I don't think she was also unbelievably good. But uh, yeah, someone who I think could have that glamorous look, like almost model esque look, right? Is kind of what I was looking for. And so this actress, I I think I've seen her. I saw her in Ballers, but ultimately I just kind of like she had, doesn't have a bunch of credits. She's twenty three credits. That's not a huge amount. Um, but she's stunning, stunning woman, and I think she's got model vibes to her. And so that's why I went with Annabelle Acosta as my Christina Bella Andreoli. The name sounds familiar. Like maybe I've used her. Maybe, maybe she's yeah, just just, just stunning, very model esque look to her. I think she can pull off that you know sexy vibe that you're gonna need. Okay, now she's got that model look for sure. Yeah, I totally see that. Okay, I totally see that. I went with a little bit of a bigger named uh, actress um, who is making the waves uh, for the last few years. Um, but I saw I, I agree she's kind of has to have that kind of model-esque uh, look. Uh, and I went with Anna de Armas. Oh, hey, I can see that. So we both kind of went uh, Hispanic. Kind of looking ladies. Yep. For this role, Anna de Armas. Yeah, she is beautiful. She is. Uh, she is. I, I wanted right her. Now. I wanted her to have a slight exotic look because she's um, supposed to be this international. Yes. Trade person and speaks multiple languages and stuff like that. And I'm. I. I. I love my American brethren. And we are just not known for our. Yeah. <laughs> knowledge of other cultures. So exactly. I think it would be more believable if you know someone else had been brought in. Yep, and Anna Armas is beautiful. I think didn't she? She played like Marilyn Monroe. She like, did. So she played the ultimate model. Yeah, exactly. So I absolutely she could pull that off. Uh, all right, Alice Lomax, the mother. I will jump in. I just kind of just made a choice, and okay. I, I I probably picked a bigger name than would, would have been necessary, but she's not necessarily playing leading parts anymore. So. No, I, yeah. and she's definitely good enough to play this part. I went with Sally Fields. Okay, she certainly she she's got almost she's almost at the point of grandma vibes though. That's the only thing. Yeah, but she still looks young enough. I've seen her she, in yeah, interviews. Dye her see, hair. I, I've seen her in interviews, and she actually a lot of times looks younger than some of the characters she's been playing. Okay, recently. I'll I'll lie. She has seventy six. Dyer hair, and she's an actress, and she's Sally Field. She's a great actress. Yeah. So uh, I'm cool with that. And she, I mean, she was the mom in Forrest Gump, um, so she absolutely can still give Southern mom vibes if you're kind of going to do the Southern small town right. thing as well. So yeah. yeah. I mean, she is one of those absolute moms on that one that works well. It's yeah. cool. All right. Who did you go with? Uh, I went with a, uh, she's played Southern mom before, uh, but much more recently in kind of some TV series. Um, that's why I kind of stuck mine. I'm placing mine as opposed to Florida in Texas um, oh, because fair. I think uh, my Marianne is going to be more Hispanic, uh, but uh, in general, so I thought Texas would be perfect because you can get a mix of Hispanic culture and Southern kind of culture coming together in mm-hmm. that one. Uh, but but I do have a, a white Kevin Lomax and a white Mrs. Alex Lomax, uh, and she's played... Texas kind of mother before in the show Friday Night Lights and also uh, Southern in the show Nashville. Connie Britton is going to be my Alice Lomax. Okay. I love Connie Britton. Yeah. I've, uh, I'm trying to remember what else I remember her from, but I immediately recognize the name. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, that's a really good call. 
Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah, just spin City. I've got it. I think that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Um, Eddie Barzoon. Who did you pick for Eddie Barzoon? So, and I kind of stuck to my um, vibe that I, I like my theory that Eddie is a former son of the devil, mm-hmm. um, but also the devil can change his shape and he can have all different types of sons and daughters. And oh whatnot. yeah, yeah. Um, which is something I like. I wish I, I would have liked to see actually the devil see Al Pacino like change shape at some point mm-hmm. earlier as opposed and as and then they been like the reveal that he was the other the uh the news reporter at the end would have been even better but it was still a good little twist but i was somebody who i i wanted eddie's a failure and in my head he was the failure of the sun and so i kind of wanted to keep you know jeffrey jones has like that overweight he's kind of almost bumbling a little bit mm-hmm. at times um and so i wanted to keep the same um this actor's slight a little bit overweight but not you know intensely so uh he's a very good actor where i've used him before and i think it's fine i think he'll fit well where i've got here because he's been he's the dad in blackish he's also been in the departed he's been in a bunch of stuff anthony anderson is becoming my eddie Barzu. okay i I like that yeah i like that because he can be kind of bumbling honestly even in blackish he's got some of that aspect right so i think um you know he's he's gonna be the the failure (laughs) yeah uh so i my uh Eddie Barzoon has has played kind of the bumbling character before. He's not overweight, um, but he has kind of played the the bumbling before. Sure, um, he is a little bit older, so I'd probably have to age him down, maybe just a little bit. I mean, he, not he doesn't really it doesn't matter. really matter. But he is British, and I'm going to have him keep the Britishness, even if he is, even if you do consider him oh. to be Milton Side. He fucks could, everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> Uh, but he's uh, best known for being in the film Four Weddings and Funeral. Uh, he did a brief little stint on The Last of Us that uh, just came out. Uh, but he is best known for being the bumbling brother in The Mummy. I went with John Hanna. Huh. Okay. He was he was good as a bumbling there. I also always remember his, him as Batiatis in the Spartacus show. Okay. And he and he has good range, I think, you know, cuz yeah, he kind of he gets stuck in my head as kind of like the bumbling guy from the mummy uh of the brother, but he can play a good asshole mm-hmm. as well, very good asshole. Yeah. So yeah, I I mean I very much like him as an actor and I am all for seeing more of him. Cool. So uh, I think I actually think it's a perfect fit. Fits really okay, well. cool. Uh all right, Mary Ann Lomax. Oddly enough, I think I picked an actress who is older than the lady who I picked for Christabella, um, uh, but I, I I get really strong Charlize Theron vibes from this from this woman. Okay, I've used her a few times before, but I still felt like she was going to be a great fit for this. I went with Alexandra Daddario. Oh, uh, I could. I mean, she's. Um I think she's from the South, so if you do do that kind of vibe, she can play from the South as well. She's she's absolutely beautiful. I can kind of see her in this role. I, I can see the Charlize Theron similar vibes as an actress. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm all for that. I like that a lot. Okay. Yeah. All right, who did you pick? Uh, so, I first saw this actress in uh, Andor, and I do like Andor. Um, there's... There's bits of it. I told John I, he's not gonna. I don't know if you're gonna watch it, but I highly recommend like watch episodes. I think it was what seven through ten. Yeah. If I can get you to do that, the, that I think that was fantastic. 
She was in that. She was also in the movie Morbius, which was not a good movie. I saw that, I think, on a plane. So bad. It was so bad. bad. I actually saw that in the theater. Yeah. And she was also in uh, True Detective. Her name is uh, Adria Arjona. Oh, okay. She was She's like... a beautiful young lady. Um, like I said, yeah. I, I get some similar vibes to a feel of like my, my Christina Bella, but I think it's okay that they look different. Makeup mm-hmm. will have one kind of look more hometown, you know, small town right. feel, and the other one look more model-esque. Her and Matt Smith were the only good things out sure. of the Morbius movie. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Okay. That's yeah, good. she's good. She's good in uh, Andor as well. So okay, cool. I liked her in that. All right, John Milton. Honestly, the, to me, this was the most important casting out of everything here. I agree. Um, even even any you know you, you could you could go mid range with your Kevin Lomax, but your John Milton <laughs> has got to be on on point. So it's got to be a name. It's got to be a name. Uh, who did you pick for your John Milton? My actor. I, I went with someone who I know will do this part perfectly. I am. No, I'm taking away a little bit of that hamminess that always just comes with Pacino. Um, but this guy just knows how to. He just knows how to be a good villain. You used him very recently, but I don't care. Mm-hmm. I just have decided he's the right one for my John Milton. I went with Giancarlo Esposito. He was the first name I I went to and decided not to go with for the fact that I had just used him. But he is absolutely. Yeah. He would be a top of the list person sure. for that yep. role. And yep. it, it absolutely worked. So because of the fact that I had just used him, I decided not to go that way. Sure. But I still think I found an actor who is comparable okay. to to bring that kind of Pacino-esque. Oddly enough, he initially started out as a comedy guy. Um, but in the last 10 years or so, has proved himself a great dramatic actor, and I'd love to see what he could do with this. I went with Bob Odenkirk. I like that. I like that. I actually have one briefly considered him for Eddie Barzoon, but you're right. Him, is he's absolutely proven himself as a dramatic actor. I haven't seen Nobody, but I think I would really like it. I do, too. I've heard I've heard everyone, I've, anyone I've ever heard talk about it has said that was, like, the surprise of 2021. Like, nice. you need to go see that movie. Good. It's, like, kind I'll of, like, a good, like, John Wick-esque surprise. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen all of both uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and he is, I mean, he really shines in Better Call Saul, mm-hmm. but, but he's great in Breaking Bad as well. So, yeah, I, I really, really like that call. Cool. It's funny we picked uh, we picked both characters, both guys who work so closely together in those two shows. Yep. <laughs> for our for our devils. Well, and they're they're good for a reason. Both those yes. guys are good for a reason. Uh, all right, our Kevin Lomax. Um, I toyed around with a couple ideas and I decided to go with uh, this one guy. No, Kevin is supposed to be from the south. Counter Reeves's southern accent was <laughs> better yeah. than, better than his English accent. Uh, yes, I, I will give you that. Um, yeah, um, but I did not go with a southern actor. Instead, I went with a Scottish actor. And the reason I decided to go with a Scottish actor is because the southern accent is actually one of the easier ones for people from the UK to switch over to because they're actually fairly closely related. Okay, so uh, I think they find it a little bit easier than like the you know plain Midwestern American sure. accent. So having them do a little bit of a southern accent, I think, would be a little bit easier. I went with Richard Madden. Okay. 
I, I think I was look. I actually can kind of considered Kit Harrington at one point. I, I was looking at Kit too. Yeah, through those lists and yeah, yeah. Roger Madden came across him, and I and I like that call just fine. I like him. I mean, he's a, he's a good looking dude. He can put on that southern charm. Absolutely. I, I think uh, I, I I think he could sell it. Absolutely, absolutely agree with that. All right. So. Who's your Kevin? Uh, and my Kevin was uh, similar kind of vibe. I would say you know maybe not as you know with that chiseled jawline that that Richard Madden has, but he is a pretty he's making a name of himself pretty darn well. Really strong actor. Uh, particularly we saw him in Whiplash, and then the huge movie of last year, probably the best movie of last year, Top Gun Maverick. Mm-hmm. Miles Teller. He, he was also somebody I briefly looked at. Sure. I was like, that that's a big name. Yeah. So I could totally see that absolutely working. Yep. Yep. That's good. Cool. I think some I think some good some good choices for a movie that uh I think is already pretty good. But you know what? It is. We'll make it better. Damn straight. <laughs> All right. That was our recasting of The Devil's Advocate. Please join us next time for another Top 10 episode. John and I are joined by my friend Mandy to talk our Top 10 favorite Disney musical songs. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. comic books me too hi i'm john join me over at the comics underground podcast where i invite guests to discuss their favorite comic books graphic novels manga and more go to bfopnetwork.com for more info or find me on your favorite podcatcher i'll see you there